today on Millennial, you have to give up a little privacy in order to save some money. But hey, I'm a hoe for saving a few bucks. So I'll do it however I can. <laughs> Andrew is a slut for savings. There's a super massive black hole in the center of the galaxy that we live in. And they say, oh my God, are we getting sucked in? No, we are in a stable orbit. That makes me feel better. <laughs> Every time you say that phrase, I just think of the Muse song. Was it Muse? Yeah. Super massive yes. black hole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any kind of like scientific Easter eggs in? <laughs> There's some deep lyrics here. Oh, baby, don't you know I suffer? Oh, baby, can you hear me moan? If NASA ever got photographic evidence of aliens, do you think that we'd really actually hear about it pretty quick out here on the public side of things? Or would that be kept under wraps? I do think we'll hear about it. Astronomers are really bad at keeping secrets. Welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting and real savings that we'll get to a little later today. But first, we want to talk about how you might not be saving if you're driving a BMW and you're trying to take advantage of some of these sweet luxury features that these expensive luxury cars have. This story actually went viral pretty quick on the internet because people were understandably upset. Um, basically, what happened was that BMW introduced a subscription service for its heated seats. So this is already technology that comes equipped with the car. But because cars now run on software, they've actually placed a blocker on the software that will heat your seats unless you fork up some extra cash. So this is going to set you back $18 a month if you want to pay monthly, but you can also subscribe for the year at $180 or you can subscribe for three years at $300 or you can play, pay for what they're dubbing unlimited access for $415. Unlimited so, seat warming. <laughs> unlimited in quotations, according to The Verge, which is where I found this story. One of my favorite tech sites, by the way. Mm -hmm. This story went viral, and it's really frustrating to see because the physical equipment already exists in your car. It's not like you have to sign up for the monthly subscription, bring it into the shop. They're going to add uh, the seat warmers to it, and then you're going to be good to go. No, it's already there lurking under your ass, waiting to be lit up, but you have to pay $18 a month. This isn't in all countries, by the way. I'm not sure if you mentioned that, but they're probably testing the waters and once this initial reaction blows over, they're going to keep rolling this type of thing out. They're getting people accustomed to expecting that they're going to have to pay a monthly fee for something like this. And it is ridiculous. They're looking at the Netflix model. Right, right. You could pay unlimited, well, not unlimited, but they have what? It's higher if you want Ultra HD, right? Yes, mm -hmm. 4K, which I pay for. That only works well if you have a good TV, right? Yeah, well, I feel like I have to do that mm -hmm. because I have the 4K TV. I would like, what? why do I have this 4K TV if I'm not getting 4K Netflix and Disney Plus, etc.? Laura, have you updated to 4K Netflix or not? No, that's fair. And is your viewing experience any worse? No, we, <laughs> we also have a 4K TV and I've honestly not noticed a difference, but... I don't know. It is hard to I'm tell. not looking that closely. And the next big movement is 8K, but it's going to be hard to convince people that they really need that because it is hard to tell the difference between 4K yeah. and 1080p. BMW is also going to be charging monthly for heated, heated steering wheels, the ability to record footage from your car's cameras, and the 
Iconic Sounds Sport Package, which lets you play engine sounds in your car for a one-time fee of $117. So you just sound like you're in a sports car for $117. It's so stupid. Yeah. The only one here that I think would be okay, I I could like maybe see them justifying it, is this option to record footage from your car's cameras, only if they're paying for your cloud storage, though. I agree with that. You know, because then you're paying essentially for the storage feature, right? Yeah. I just love the visual of grown ass adults needing to pay a monthly subscription fee so that they can sit in their car and go vroom, vroom. Like, yeah, like (laughs) that's pretty embarrassing. Unfortunately, this is the next big movement. We were talking about subscriptions a couple of weeks ago. These all, every company is looking for a way to make more and more money out of every customer. And car companies, in the case of car companies, you buy a car once and that's it. Now they want you to buy that car and then continue sending them money. And they're going to do that through subscriptions for seat warmers and maybe other features that we haven't seen yet. Like how long until we have to pay extra for CarPlay or other types of features that that people really want? I'm just going to keep, you know, making my Toyota work for me it's same you know it's been a good reliable car also they're very easy to fix yeah that's the plus john just reminded us in the discord that bmw actually did try to charge for carplay and it didn't catch on so they decided they will no longer charge you to use apple carplay it's not even a bmw product oh my gosh it also just seems like a good safety feature to make sure is accessible to anybody right yeah because it's easier to take calls and texts you know resisting the urge to touch your phone and do something stupid yeah well in so many states have um hands-free laws now that it makes complete sense to just include that as part of the basic package anyway unfortunately this is the new frontier and it's gonna get a lot worse this is really just the beginning so since we are all screwed how can we save some money these days I was inspired to have a discussion here on the show today about money-saving hacks. And I mean like the everyday types of things that you might do, but maybe you don't think about anymore. This was inspired by a BuzzFeed article that was trending a few weeks ago. The BuzzFeed article was not that great, though. This person's talking about how they're always trying to save a buck, and then she's writing about going to a a beachside restaurant in Malibu with her friends. I'm like, (laughs) um, this is very tone deaf. So I thought instead of looking at their list, let's just make a list of our own. And we also asked our listeners for their money saving hacks. And we got some really great stuff. And I'm going to bounce off of some of the ideas that listeners brought to the table today. But I just want to start by sharing each of our own. I'll start with one I probably mentioned a few months ago, and I think this was a recommendation, but I use this all the time. If you go to any product on Amazon, chances are you'll also see below the order now box, a new and used box, and you can buy refurbished or used products, that version, but refurbished or used. You can save sometimes just a couple dollars, depending on the price. But if it's a high ticket item, you can save a hundred or more. For example, I'm trying to find some new over-ear headphones right now. I bought a used, but it the condition is listed as like new for $150 less than the retail price. And a lot of the time, even the condition will say, oh, the box might be a little damaged when it arrives. This stuff arrives, the box isn't damaged. 
It looks great. It looks like it's brand new, but you're saving a lot of money. And these refurbished or open box items are just returns that they need to sell, but they can't sell them as you know brand new. So you can really save a lot of money this way. And by the way, speaking of refurbished, Apple has a whole refurbished section on their website. Obviously, they don't promote it heavily, but if you go to apple.com and uh, you go to the Apple Store online, you scroll down and you'll see a link to the refurbished section of the Apple Store, and you'll be able to save at least $100 or $200 on phones, iPads, Macs, basically anything high ticket that Apple sells. So if you're ever looking for a new Apple computer but want to save a couple bucks or not a you want to save a couple hundred dollars, definitely check that out. And the other thing there is that it's still, in the case of the Apple refurbished section, it's all backed by like a one-year warranty or something like that. Ham, I think you had a related item to this as well, right? Yeah. So stores like Best Buy, I know Best Buy is the one that does this the most, but I'm sure other stores do this as well. They often have discounted open box sections. And what these items are, are things that have have come back to the store within the return window. And the reason that they're a little bit discounted is because the boxes are open. And so these things have been inspected. It's just that somebody has opened the box first. So if that's not a big deal to you, it wouldn't be a big deal to me. I would highly recommend looking into this if you're looking to buy anything from like a new TV to cell phone accessories sometimes are in the open box section. I believe that you can also search for open up box items on Best Buy's website too, which makes it a lot easier than having to go into the store. Yeah, you can. And you can order those online as well through Best Buy's website. I don't think all of that is available in store because I was looking for a new camera bag and I saw I could save 40 bucks by getting a used one. And again, they list the condition and it's... and. It'll tell you if it's going to arrive and look like shit, but a lot of the time it it looks it's all in great condition. Something else I wanted to share, and they were a sponsor, I think, here on Millennial, is Honey, that free plugin you can add to Chrome and other browsers. And when you're on the checkout page of Amazon or Best Buy or others that have coupon fields, they will automatically search for uh, coupons and apply the best one to your cart. And I think we've all saved a little bit of money using Honey over time. That one's kind of like a no-brainer just because let it run in the background. Sure, it might be kind of tracking your shopping activity. That's probably how they make their money. But, uh, you know, I'm willing to sell myself out to save some money from time to time. (laughs) I will do that with Honey. We're all selling ourselves out by surfing the internet anyway. So why not save some money? Yeah, you're screwed anyway. Good yeah. Point. What I like about Honey is sometimes I I forget that I have it <laughs> installed in yeah. my browser and I'll be checking out somewhere and it'll pop up and be like, "Hey, wait, we found a coupon." And, you know, you can save like 20 bucks on a single purchase yeah. depending on the coupon they find. So it it is really good. Doesn't cost anything. I I'll plus one that. Um something else that I'll piggyback uh on here is y'all's recommendations about like open box purchases. This can be true for furniture as well. If you're furniture shopping and you're willing to buy a floor model, like at Rooms to Go or Mm -hmm. Ashley or wherever it is you're shopping, um, if you're willing to buy a floor model, you can usually get a pretty good discount on those. I bought a table from Rooms to Go several years ago that like it was a display model and it had of what I thought of as like a very minor cosmetic scratch. And they knocked like 150 bucks off the cost of the table for that. 
Yeah. And I just had to take yeah. it home that day. So there are definitely ways that you can, you know, take advantage of things like that in order to save some money. The benefit there is that usually it comes assembled already too, right? Because I'm yep. thinking like Ikea, they have the used and damaged section near the checkout aisle. I love looking at that because it's all the Ikea furniture already assembled. Yeah, there's a nick here. There's a scratch there. But sometimes you find something really good and the prices, they really drop those prices there. A lot of that stuff is really easy to fix or conceal at home you can easily look up a tutorial for how to like sand that down and like repaint it to your heart's content so i i do that all the time with with stuff like floor models for furniture or even sometimes like um clothing like if you see that there's like a tiny rip in a dress say somebody popped a seam or something if you take it up to the cashier and say i really want to buy this but this is the only one you have in stock they'll be like well we can discount it for you and as long as you know you're not going to return it that's a really easy thing to fix at home too exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and you know places will do this with um appliances as well i know best buy will also sell um you know slightly damaged floor models of things like refrigerators and washer dryers. And to me, particularly with a washer dryer, I don't care if it has a little dent in it because it's going, nobody's going to see it. It's, it's either going in a closet or in a laundry room. Like who cares? So you, you can definitely save some good money doing that. It's a utility. It's not the Mona Lisa. Yeah. It's like part of its job is getting a little busted up. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably going to happen anyway. So Yeah, especially if you have kids, it's going (laughs) to get beaten up. I will say this isn't a hack, um, but I am generally really cautious about spending. So I will just research the hell out of things before making any kind of big ticket purchase. That includes reading written reviews, looking up video reviews on YouTube or TikTok or wherever. Um, I'll also compare pricing from different vendors to see where I'm getting the best price, of course. Um, Mark will tell you that sometimes I really drag my feet on stuff. <laughs> and he'll be like, okay, we we really need this. And I'm like, yeah, but let's just think about it a little more before we pull the plug. Um, so I can be pretty frugal on that front. But I will say I know not everybody has time for that level of research. And sometimes you just need something. And you just don't have maybe the resources or the time available to you to do that level of research. So as kind of a mini recommendation this week, I would say if you don't have time to research your purchases, I would recommend at the very least referencing progressiveshopper.com to see where brands' political donations go, because at the very least, you can find out where these different brands are spending their money and whether that's aligned with your ideological beliefs. You could kind of argue that is a money-saving hack, because if you're trying to talk yourself out of a product, you go on the site, you find out that they support horrible organizations, and then you're like, oh, shit, well, now I hate these guys. I don't want to support them. I'll call that a money saving. Yeah, hack. I'll accept it. <laughs> and I, I say that with the caveat that like, again, I know I've said this till I'm blue in the face. There is no way to spend 100% ethically in our current situation. I buy things from Amazon all the time. I think we all do. So you have to be easy on yourself. But I think this can at least be a way to try 
and, um, you know, shop ethically, at least some of the time. I think if everybody contributes something small, it can make a big difference. Um, and the other thing I would say that's more of a local recommendation is looking for gift card incentives and opportunities in your local grocery stores. Um, a lot of times they will offer gift cards as an incentive to either purchase a particular item or just shop in their store. Um, I Love Publix, for example, that I think that's been pretty well documented on this show. And they always give out a $10 gift card to Publix if you get your flu shot there. So my routine is every year I go get my flu shot, I get my $10 gift card, and I go and buy a couple of pub subs for dinner (laughs) to take home. And I'm like, I got my flu shot and I got dinner for us. It's a win-win. Please tell me you've been using the account that I created for you last year. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Have you earned anything through that? I don't even know what it does. Uh, Honestly, I haven't really checked it, to be honest with you. I think after you rack up a certain number of points, you maybe get a gift card or a discount or something. Okay. Did you ever change the password? Oh, no, here I can log into it. Yeah, (laughs) no, I never never changed the password. Uh Uh-oh, I'm about to expose Laura. It's going to be like zero activity. (laughs) I go to Publix like multiple times a month. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I know. I just mean like you haven't used my account. I'd be so sad. <laughs> Speaking of grocery shopping or, or shopping for really anything at a store in general, um, I know this seems really intuitive, but I wanted to also recommend buying store brands. So like, for example, Costco's Kirkland Signature line instead of the name brand. Um, and the reason that I wanted to point this out is that like there have been quite a few times where you know I'll pull out a generic brand and and I'll have like a friend or like family member over being like oh I've never heard of this brand before so I don't know if people just don't like to people like to pretend like they don't shop generic to save a couple bucks or if like the people I know are just spending in excess for no reason whatsoever but most of the time it's the same ingredients it's the same Um, Sometimes it's even the same company that's making, you know, the generic brand for these stores. So definitely do that if you're not. Don't just like grab blindly. I know it's really easy to do that because you want to get in and you want to get out. But just spending like a little bit more time looking at the price difference. And also sometimes like the um, like the actual amount of product that's in the bottle or in the package to see like what is actually more worth it. Yeah. Is a really easy way to save some money in the long run. Same is true of like over-the-counter medications. You can get generic brands for your allergy meds, your cold meds, all of those Mm -hmm. things. I would say, in my opinion, it's never seemed worth it to me to buy brand name medications unless you've got a prescribing physician who feels very strongly that you need to take the brand name for whatever reason, listen to your doctor. But Outside of that, generic all day, baby. So, Pam, in your case, are there any store brands you don't buy? Is there anything like, like I need Tide Pods? <laughs> no, not it's not grocery related, but my um, my skin is really sensitive and I've been having um, some issues with my skin in general. So I will not buy generic brand like face wash, for example, because I've noticed that even though it says that it's comparable and the ingredients seem comparable on the back, if there have been a couple um, recent instances where I've bought generic like makeup removing face wash and it's just really fucked up 
my skin. So I'd rather just spend a little bit more to buy, you know, like the CeraVe, for example. So I think it just depends on like what works for you. But that that's definitely a big one for me. And did you have this other one you wanted to bring up? Carrying your own water bottle or reusable reusable coffee cup, especially if you drive around or you commute, it's super easy to just toss that in your car. And that way you're saving some money when you're out and about. Water is so expensive to buy bottles of, especially because nobody actually is just going to be satisfied with like one 16 ounce bottle of water. This is good for the environment. So that's an added bonus. But it's just really easy to get in the habit of of carrying around your emotional support water bottle. And all of you that are $10 (laughs) patrons should be doing that anyway, because we sent you water bottles. So nice promo, Pam. (laughs) Yeah, no, that seems like a simple, but it's also a good one that I think people just don't really keep in mind as often as they should. Out here in the desert, I feel like extra compelled to be carrying around a water bottle. But I've been on cross-country road trips, and that one I went on right before the pandemic, I brought a reusable coffee cup, because remember, we were also talking about sustainability right before the pandemic. And that saved me a lot of money using hotel coffee dispensers, you know, know, in the the free breakfast area, instead of like getting Starbucks every morning on the road or something like that. That was really great. So and plus, when you use the reusable coffee cup at like Starbucks, they'll give you 10 cents off or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Also, you can take that with you almost anywhere. Like I've taken my water bottle in to the theater to see like, like plays, musicals, stuff like that. Also, obviously, to the movie theater. But you can take it and empty through like TSA check at the airport. So it's not just, you know, carrying it around day to day. You should just get in the habit of carrying it with you everywhere. And you'll save so much money because, like I said, buying water is expensive. It only recently dawned on me that you can bring an empty water bottle through TSA. For some oh, yeah. reason, that just never registered with me because they don't allow water mm-hmm. bottles with water in them. And it just, I don't know, I never thought of it. But then Pat was doing it. And I was like, wait, you can do that? So I've been doing that now as well. And SFO has, I, I'm sure that most airports are like this. I would hope so. Air um, SFO has like an area right before TSA where you can dump your water out and they'll recycle it and use it to like for irrigation and stuff, which is really nice. Wow. Yeah, we're pretty green over here and I love it. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is a very California thing. Here, here they're like, throw your water away. <laughs> or you could chug it. I mean, everybody needs to stay hydrated. That'd be fine too. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they have the water fountains with the water bottle dispenser Oh, they do. I love those. Yeah, they have them in Vegas, too. Those are the best things ever. But honestly, like, I do think that for as good as San Francisco is for that stuff, I I do wish that San Francisco, but also other cities would have more water fountains readily available out and about, Mm -hmm. especially water fountains that are easier to fill up your water bottles. And I want to say that I read that Paris is really good about this. And I'm very jealous of how readily available water is and like fill up stations are so. So let's look at what patrons suggested. Ashley had a very interesting one. She said, I recently was introduced to a cashback app called Upside. I'm getting $13 to $14 back on every trip to the grocery store, which isn't insignificant. But there are tons of cashback apps if you have the time for it. 
So I looked into Upside more. They're actually going to be, in the interest of full disclosure, a MuggleCast sponsor in a couple of weeks. But this was purely coincidental that Ashley suggested it. Um, they have a profit-sharing arrangement with participating businesses. When Upside brings them a customer or a purchase they weren't expecting and prove it, then together they share in the profit earned on that purchase. And I was looking at Upside in my local area today. It's like 5% cash back at restaurants. I didn't see grocery stores near me, but you can also get 35 cents back a gallon at the gas station Ooh. at select gas stations. Yeah. That's so big pretty, right now. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Upside is like, yeah, we do the profit sharing. There's also some data sharing going on here. I know uh, apps that are also really popular are the ones where you scan the receipts and then you get points for that for scanning your receipt, and then you can redeem these points for gift cards. My mom is obsessed with one of these called Fetch. This is all collecting data about you that they are then reselling. I don't know that for a fact. I just know that it's true. So, again, you have to give up a little privacy in order to save some money. But, hey, I'm a hoe for saving a few bucks, so I'll do it however I can. (laughs) Andrew is a slut for savings. (laughs) (laughs) Laura said, my biggest trick is to fill up a cart of stuff you think you really want, give it a month, go back, reassess the cart, and see what you must have. I also love the Amazon wishlist, because if I put it on there, I get an alert if the price drops as well. Those are great. Because, yeah, we do we do a lot of impulse buying. To go back to your point about Honey, Honey will also tell you if it's a good time to buy. Yeah. So you don't always have to wait for those price drop alerts, because they'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. Also with travel, um, if you know you have a credit card, for example, that gives you points for booking travel on the card, they'll oftentimes let you know when it's a good time to book travel and when you can get the cheapest cost on flights and things like that. So that's worth looking into if you have a credit card that offers that feature. John said, call up your insurance power internet company and ask if there are any rebates or programs you can take advantage of. Never hurts to ask. One is buying your own internet modem for $70 to $80 instead of paying $15 a month. Yes. Yes. Buy your own modem outright. That will pay for itself in time. You can go to Amazon, search for Aris. A-R-R-I-S. They make really good modems. Then you call up your cable company. You say, hey, I'm sending you back my internet modem. Um, and please use this modem. You also have to check to make sure the modem's compatible with your cable company. But you can figure that out on Amazon. That's a great one, John. Also, by the way, this just came to mind. Threaten to cancel. Some of these companies will be so desperate to keep your business that if you say you're canceling, they'll be like, oh, wait, we just found a discount for you. Here's a limited time offer. I know a lot of people do that with SiriusXM, the satellite radio company, because um, they're desperate to keep their subscribers. My dad does that, actually. I uh, I did this. I didn't take advantage of it because I actually did leave, but I changed my home security company recently. Mm-hmm. And when I was leaving my old one, every time I got a new associate, they'd be like, okay, we're going to put you on a brief hold here. And somebody would come back and they were offering me 10 more dollars off. By the end of me being like, I'm done. I don't want to be in a contract with you people anymore. Leave me alone. They were offering me like $30 off my monthly cost. So had I liked their service enough that I wanted to stick with it, I could have gotten 30 bucks off my monthly bill, which would have been good. Yeah. 
Luis said, I had to be reminded of this by my partner. Don't forget price match is a thing with many companies. At Costco, we purchased something, and a couple weeks later, the item went on sale. We went back on another shopping trip and had them refund us the difference between the price we bought it at and the new sales price. You could be getting a significant amount of money if you bought something big. It's a good tip. Samantha said, cut your own hair and shave your own pussy. Paying to remove hair seems like a big waste of money to me. I appreciate that, Samantha, getting straight to the point. <laughs> get, I'm telling you, I think I talked about this previously. Get a ball trimmer. They are good because. Typically for men. Yes. You're saying. I'm ball. saying okay. that if something is good enough, if men created something that they're comfortable enough using on their fucking balls, then <laughs> it's good for anywhere else. I have one. It's great. Highly recommend. You can get it at Target. Laura's ball trimmer. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we got to do what we got to do. And that way you don't get hit with the pink tax. Oh, my God. That's so true. I've been cutting my own hair since the pandemic, honestly. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, it's once you get the hang of it, it's pretty easy. I mean, if you're not scared to try, just go slow. You know, like you can always cut more off, but mm -hmm. you can't put it back. Right. So. <laughs> I don't go to a fancy stylist. I just go to Supercuts and whatever else is nearby. And it's like, well, actually, with inflation, it's now up to like $17, $18 for a men's cut. But it used to be $14, $15. Still cheaper. Related to this, if you can find um, a school, if you have a school, oh, yeah. you, like Tony and Guy has schools, you can get a cut in color for so cheap. You just really, you have to know exactly what you want, exactly what you want, so that they give you exactly what you want. And you're not surprised after. Victor said, eat less meat and eat more plant-based meals. And then Victor linked to a study proving this. I actually didn't know that this had been quantified and studied yet. So that's interesting to see. And you'd also be doing good for the environment. Rachel said, see if your grocery store has an app. Mine does. And you can look for coupons. It links to your account so that when you enter your phone number at checkout, it applies to discounts automatically. That's nice. And Rachel says they saved about $20 on groceries yesterday using that. Kristen says, I think this is well known, but just in case, use the Gas Buddy app to find the gas station with the lowest prices near you. I rarely get gas without checking the Gas Buddy app first. That's a good one. I'll also add that I think Google Maps has support for current gas prices as well if you don't want to download another app. And if you are a Costco member, you can see the current prices um, at your local Costco. Elizabeth said, set a recurring interval on your calendar to assess subscription services versus your, your usage. Cancel or downgrade what isn't being used. But speaking of subscription services, I did just want to add that there are some really good low-cost cell providers now, namely Mint Mobile, which is owned by Ryan Gosling. And there's one owned by Verizon called Visible. And you can get a cell phone plan for about $40 to $45 a month. And it's got unlimited talk and text. It's got plenty of data. There, there's a lot of different conditions, but it seemed to be working out to about $40 to $45 a month, much cheaper than what I currently pay at Verizon. That's like $90 a month, something like that. I've been thinking about switching to Mint Mobile or Visible because it is a noticeable difference in price. And if you're on Wi-Fi enough at home, at work, at the gym, wherever else, like you don't need that much data on your cell phone plan. Right. And I think that's Ryan Reynolds. We're getting a couple of call outs oh, here in sorry. the Discord. I get the Ryans confused. Elizabeth said, sign up for a year of the Millennial Patreon up front and you'll receive a 10% discount. That's that's very good. That's also really sweet. Yeah. Thank you for 
saying that. But also, yeah, I'm the same way. I do try if an annual subscription is an option and offers a discount, I'll try to do that. Yeah, for sure. I I like doing that as well because it's kind of like leaving money on the table if you don't do these annual subscriptions, if you can afford it. Like car insurance can be very expensive, but also the the annual discount or the six-month upfront discount can be pretty steep as well. So just to round things out here, a few of our patrons noted that um, you can uh, save a lot by going to the library to rent books, movies. We brought up power tools last week. But there's other stuff you wouldn't expect, like video games. Yeah. Check out your local library. Since we just spoke about libraries last week, I thought we didn't need to get into it again. All right. So there were a bunch of tips. Hopefully that's helpful to people. Um, I know I've learned a bunch and it's nice seeing that other people are trying to save in different ways and maybe we can revisit this in the future. We got to have each other's backs during this period of inflation because it is getting crazy out there. All right. So we're about to be joined by one of our listeners, Amy, and we're going to talk space with her and she knows her stuff. So we're very excited to do that. But first of all, Laura, we just mentioned the uh, Patreon. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, you know, subscription services where an annual subscription discount is an option, we definitely love for you to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash millennial. We have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content available over there between our flagship benefit after dark, the millennial variety show, um, various different commentaries that we've done. We've got our geek out benefit, which Pam recently contributed to. So there's just a ton of fun stuff over on the Patreon. We also give out some pretty cool physical gifts every year to our $10 um, supporters. So definitely recommend heading over there and checking out all of those benefits. And just want to say that whether you're able to uh, support us on Patreon or whether you're able to support us just through listening, we super appreciate you. Yes, we do. Thank you. All right, we are now joined by one of our listeners, Amy. Hey, Amy, welcome to Millennial. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited too. We are very excited to receive your email. You had gotten in touch with us last week after we were discussing those very cool new pictures from space. I was a little skeptical about how excited everybody was, though I I really appreciated everybody's hype. So we're also kind of hoping that today you might like convince me to um, really fall in love the way everybody else has. So we'll see where this goes. Will I be a slut for space by the end of this discussion? We'll see. (laughs) But can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What are your credentials? Because you you do come with uh, some serious credentials. So I'm currently in a PhD program. I'm a PhD candidate in astrophysics at CU Boulder. I've always really loved math. And then when I got into high school physics class, I thought it was a really cool way to apply all of this math that I had learned my whole life. Um, But I especially was really interested when we'd talk about like the big questions about time and time travel and I loved the unit on gravity. Um, so I started thinking that maybe astronomy was something I would really like to study. Um, and then I graduated with a double major in astronomy and physics from the University of Texas at Austin. Um, and that's where I first got involved in research. So I worked with a professor and her research group there and learned um, some basic skills and how to code and started getting into this whole world. And I decided that I really liked um, the research I was doing. And in some sciences and PhD programs, 
um, you can actually get your tuition covered by the department and you get a stipend to live off of in exchange for doing like teaching or research um, through your grad program. And so I said, hey, I'm going to give grad school a chance um, and applied to a bunch of places and um, ended up getting into some. And so um, this program I'm in, like many astronomy um, grad programs throughout the U.S., um, is like a combined master's and PhD type thing. So you can go straight from undergrad into the PhD program and then you get your master's um, after the first few years. So I have that, but I have not finished all the requirements uh, for the PhD yet. I'm probably about halfway through. I've got two or three years left writing this dissertation. Wow. Wow. That is pretty remarkable. I feel like, you know, we hear a lot about people in our age group going to graduate school, but I have to be perfectly honest. I can't say that I've heard of too many people going into astrophysics. No, <laughs> same. <laughs> I'm wondering, um, do you have a particular concentration? Yeah. So my current research is about galaxy mergers. Um, so not with the Milky Way. We live in the galaxy, the Milky Way, but other galaxies in the universe um, actually crash into each other and combine into larger systems. And this happens frequently enough that it's like an active area of study. And we think it's a really important piece of galaxy evolution um, and how galaxies grow. And so my thesis is all about studying these mergers to both figure out how we can identify them better and more accurately and faster in all of these images that we have, especially as we get more and more data from these big telescopes. And then also what the effects of galaxies crashing into each other have on those galaxies forming stars or maybe even feeding the supermassive black holes at the center of those galaxies. Whoa. I'm starting to think I need to be a little high for this discussion, actually. Uh, talking about space high, you know, it's always always a good time. Always recommended. <laughs> what would you say are some of the most common misconceptions about your field of work? In terms of like the people doing science, I think people when they hear astrophysics think of like these old white men who are just working on projects like on their chalkboard, you know, doing all this math um, by themselves. Um, but that's really not what astrophysics looks like today. It's an increasingly diverse community, though astronomy and physics are uh, some of the worst in terms of diversity statistics of sciences, thinking like people of color who are involved in it and um, gender minorities who are not doing great, but it's getting better. Um, and a lot of work that's being done today is really big collaborations between people from all over the world at all sorts of different institutions. Um, and so I think. Um, that conception of like one person sitting alone doing all this math is not really what astrophysics looks like today. Um, and then a lot of people have problems about the price tag of scientific research. I think you hear that JWST was a $10 billion telescope and a lot of people and politicians are like, I can't believe we just spent that much money on a telescope um, to which I want to come back and say, well, our military budget is, you know, trillions of dollars. I think you can afford right. <laughs> 10 <Yep>. billion. <laughs> Um, and with the amount of time it took to build um, that telescope, it's pennies per year out of each person's taxes. Um, and so I think the amount of money going towards science is really, uh, people think it's a lot more than it really is. What do you think adds to that misconception, though? Is it just because it feels like it's really expensive to shoot off a rocket into space? And that's automatically what most people think of when they think of funding research? Yeah. I think that and they think of all these things that are much more tangible that are underfunded. And so I think it's really easy to say, well, why did you spend all this money on a telescope when my town 
you know, needs roads that are repaved and new infrastructure to be built. Um, and I guess I just kind of think it's like a, we can have both. Um, there's other areas in government that I think could be cut um, from tax dollar spending before sciences are cut. Um, but I think it is easy just to look at something so out there like that and say, well, why are we spending money on that? And I think it's really hard to conceptualize big numbers, especially if you don't sit there hearing big numbers all day. Um, and so when he, people hear $10 billion, they're just like, that is a huge amount of money. But I think they also, it's hard to conceptualize how much money the government spends every year. Yeah. And then yeah. lastly, on the science side of misconceptions, um, a lot of people think that black holes suck everything in around them and kind of act like vacuum cleaners in space. Um, but that's actually not true. They just act with gravity the same way we are attached to Earth with gravity um, and the Earth rotates around or um, orbits around the sun from gravity. If the sun turned into a black hole, but in the same place with the same mass, the Earth would just keep orbiting around it in the stable orbit it has now. It would not get sucked in. It's just that black holes are so small in area um, because essentially it's a bunch of mass being put onto one a point um, source, essentially. So there's no volume to a black hole, we like to say, that their gravity acts really strongly because you can get really, really close. That's interesting. I didn't know that, genuinely. I've been living with the misconception that a black hole just sucks everything you know, in within a certain radius. And so that's I feel like that's on pop culture because I would be <laughs> under that misconception, too. Yeah. So once you cross a certain point of the radius close to it, then you're not coming out. Um, but you can absolutely rotate and orbit stably around a black hole. Then you're not coming out. <laughs> yeah. There's a supermassive black hole in the center of the galaxy that we live in. And they say, oh, my God, are we getting sucked in? No, we are in a stable orbit. That makes me feel better. <laughs> Every time you say that phrase, I just think of the Muse song. Was it Muse? Yeah. Supermassive yes. black hole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does that song have anything to do with like, I don't know, Amy, have you listened to this song? Is there any kind of like scientific Easter eggs in? <laughs> There's some deep lyrics here. Oh, baby, don't you know I suffer? Oh, baby, can you hear me moan? Okay. Glaciers <laughs> melting in the dead of night. Superstars that sucked from the record. Superman. It was a dumb question. <laughs> So you mentioned the the uh, telescope a few minutes ago. You actually also told us that there's a movement in the astronomy community to rename the James Webb telescope. Why do astronomers want to rename the telescope? It's suddenly super popular. Yeah, so this is actually the reason um, I decided to write you guys, um, because I think it's been a huge piece of news in our like professional community, but hasn't really gotten much coverage to the general public. Um, and this movement to rename the telescope, I want to give credit to the people who are leading it, um, is led by doctors Chanda Presco-Weinstein, uh, Sarah Tuttle, Lucianne Walkovich, and Brian Nord. Um, so they're all professional astronomers. And they um, wrote this great letter in Scientific American that basically outlined who James Webb, who the telescope was named after, was. Um, he was a NASA administrator in the 60s. He had previously worked in the State Department before that. Um, and he was in leadership during the Lavender Scare, um, which was a time when many federal employees were fired simply for being gay. They said that they were a security threat. Um, it was the same thing we hear about a lot of anti-gay movements today in terms of them being um, pedophiles or, you know, dangerous to the community with no 
evidence of this, but they deemed them not suitable to work um, for the state. And NASA was one of the um, agencies which many people were fired um, as part of this lavender scare for being gay. And so James Webb did have notable things that he did as an administrator. He oversaw a lot of the Apollo program, getting us to the moon. He was um, responsible for having a NASA budget portion go just directly to scientific research rather than like space flight and things like that. So not to say he did nothing except um, persecute gay people, but if we're going to look at his term as an administrator, I think that's a really important piece of what he did. Most telescopes are just named after scientists who had an important discovery or something related to what the telescope is going to study. But James Webb was an administrator who was pretty homophobic. So a lot of people don't want to name the telescope after someone like that. Um, and the other piece is that NASA is really publicly promoting um, having diverse research teams do the work that they provide grants for. They have these statements on their website about caring um, about including everyone in science, um, but they are unwilling to kind of model this statement of theirs by renaming the telescope to something that everyone feels is more welcoming. I don't want to be, I can't imagine being like a gay astronomer and having data off this telescope and having to like cite this guy in all my papers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like totally. practice what you preach. And basically just to also add, NASA knows there's been controversy about this name. They've seen the letter. They said they were investigating it, but really no full-scale investigation has been done. Were there any alternate names that folks have proposed? Yes. So um, the most popular name that um, the leaders of this movement proposed was actually the Harriet Tubman Space Telescope, which a lot of people might at first kind of say, what does Harriet Tubman have to do with astronomy? Um, but their two main arguments were that if we're really sending this piece of um, humanity kind of out into the cosmos, we could kind of represent better people of humanity, perhaps, than James Webb and Harriet Tubman, obviously fighting for people's freedom, helping them escape slavery kind of embodies that. But also, um, they want to rename it that based on the fact that we often discuss um, in a lot of astronomy equity groups, what does it really mean to be an astronomer? Astronomy is a science that anyone can take part in by going outside and looking up at the night sky. You don't need lab equipment the way you do for some other sciences. And so, yes, it can get better with telescopes and all this, but people for generations have been using the stars in different ways, in different cultures. Different cultures had different constellations. Um, I mean, think about like astrological signs, which are not what we would consider astronomy in terms of their interpretations, but just the constellations themselves and how the Greeks and Egyptians knew when certain constellations would be up during the year and what that meant for planting their crops and everything like that. And Harriet Tubman actually was able to navigate from the stars um, on the Underground Railroad to get people out of slavery. So it just kind of opens wow. up the what do we really consider being an astronomer um, in addition to sending a much better message yeah. and maybe a different person than a white guy in the 60s who was really homophobic. Yeah. Wow. So some people have been just calling it that themselves. And the other thing we've really been pushing is we can just use the acronym JWST. We don't need to spell out James Webb's name uh, every single time we mention this. Um, so that's something that we've all been really trying to do. And professional astronomers are quite active on Twitter. Um, and a lot of people are uh, simply calling it telescope, telescope, space telescope now. 
that's fine. Um, because if we have to use those initials, we're going to make a bunch of jokes out of it and not refer to James Webb. So you'll also see that one um, used quite a bit in people's uh, online discussions about the new data. So speaking of these new pictures, and I'm hoping this will start getting Andrew excited about space here. um, (laughs) Can you help us understand what exactly we're seeing in these photos? Yes. First, just to make sure everyone kind of is on the same page about some words that we might be using. Um, I think a lot of people think galaxies and universe and all this are kind of are kind of interchangeable. So just to clarify some of that, the universe is the largest structure we know. Everything, all matter, all energy is in the universe. And then the galaxies are some of what make up the universe. So there's lots of different galaxies within the one universe, our Milky Way galaxy being only one of billions or trillions, I think we think there are now, of galaxies in the universe. And then galaxies are made up of stars like the sun, some gas, some dust, some dark matter. And then we think that they all host a supermassive black hole at the center. And then planets all orbit individual stars that are making up these galaxies. So this first picture of the nebula, where you see this beautiful blue sky on top and this brown dusty thing on the bottom. Um, So this is a stellar nursery. So baby stars are being born here, forming from this big gas cloud. And then you can see all this structure and these kind of bubbles in the gas here. And that is when new stars form. They have a lot of wind. They're producing radiation. They're producing light that we're seeing. And they are actually blowing all of the bubbles and structure into this dust that we see when they are in their process of formation. And the other thing to mention here is that JWST is an infrared telescope. So your eyes see the optical range of light, but there's more light um, than just what our eyes see. And so if you could see light that's even redder than red, um, you would be seeing what James Webb, the James Webb Space Telescope, JWST. Telescope, telescope. Jelly Welly, as yes. I like to call it's it. It's taking a little bit of practice to stop saying James Webb. I try to correct myself every time I do it. <laughs> hey, That's it's, very interesting. It's a process. I have to say this one is my favorite. Yeah. I think I mentioned last week I made it my desktop background. And as you're describing everything, I literally minimized my windows and I'm like looking along with you as you describe it. Um, I just I think it's so beautiful. Yeah, it feels like it's the most colorful. It has almost like action going on, the movement of the dust. It almost kind of looks like an ocean moving. Yeah, so Andrew, on on the science side, I love that you mentioned the ocean because um, water and gas are both fluids. And so it's the same laws um, of physics that are governing ocean waves and all of this gas movement and everything like that. You can kind of treat it all the same mathematically. So there are some of the exact same effects that you see in the ocean happening here. So A plus, Andrew, getting into space over here. (laughs) Yes. We're convincing Andrew to be interested. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'll also mention with this gas and dust cloud we see here, um, infrared light can teach us a lot of information about dust, the optical light that your eyes see cannot. Um, and so we're getting into new depths of this cloud that we've never been able to see before. Um, so that's really exciting. I want to make sure that we get to the other images. So um, can you tell us about the quintet? So the quintet of galaxies are a bunch of galaxies and they look like they're all right next to each other. But actually one of these galaxies is way further away than the other one. 
But just because they're kind of all lined up along one line of sight out into the universe, they appear to us as if they're all right next to each other. Um, but the coolest part of this image is that some of the galaxies are interacting with each other and merging. So I think as someone who researches galaxy mergers, this one might be my favorite image um, because the top galaxy, you can see that big like tidal tail coming off of it, that faint um, streak coming off. And that's like a huge indicator of galaxy mergers when we see something like that. And then kind of the middle right one, you can actually see two um, really bright spots. And so that's the nuclei of those galaxies. So like the supermassive black holes live somewhere in there and they are in the process of co coalescing into one bigger supermassive black hole and bigger um, galaxy. And then the other thing to really notice in this one is you can almost see like a shock wave coming out of that where you see that big bright ring of like stars and gas and dust. Um, and so that's where it's forming new stars probably um, due to this merger. It would kind of be like the first thing I would look at in this image. And again, you can just see so much detail in the dust lanes of these galaxies that we could just never see before. <laughs> the dust lanes, you said? So and all these like glowing red things um, these like yeah. red wispy things. Yeah. So those are actually lanes of dust, I believe. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I heard the right word. Yes. Yeah. Like big strips of dust, essentially, that would look black if we looked at this in the optical because they're blocking the light, but they glow in infrared. Basically, all I have to say about all this is, whoa. <laughs> like, And I mean that in a good way. Yeah. I don't know what else to add other than, whoa. <laughs> you mean that in your most stoner space way. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> Andrew, you got to take some Delta eight and just sit down. You got to project these like onto a wall or something. Whoa, man. Just stare yeah. at them. <laughs> mm -hmm. What about the, the remaining ones here? Yeah. So the Southern ring nebula, um, this is the death of a star and this is actually what the sun is going to do one day. So this is a planetary nebula, but don't worry. The sun will not be exploding on you uh, while you're alive. It's about four and a half billion years away. <laughs> Um, oh, okay. But basically, yeah, this star um, used up all of its hydrogen and that's its fuel. And so once it was uh, through with all that, it began its process of dying and shed all of its outer layers off in a big explosion. Um, and so that's what we're seeing here. That ring is the outer layers of the star. Um, and I think the cool things here, again, just the detail we can see in gas and dust can really help our models for what processes are going on um, to make this happen. Um, we can see a bunch of structure that we could just never see before. And the coolest thing I think on this one is in the right image on the NASA website, you can actually see there's two stars in the middle. So it's actually a yeah. binary star system where one of them has died and one of them has not. But these two stars are orbiting around each other. And you can actually tell that it's two distinct stars in here, which is just really cool. That's awesome. This exoplanet atmosphere is probably the least exciting when you first look at it. But I'm hoping that Andrew will think this is the most exciting because this might be how we find aliens. Oh. oh. Yeah, I see charts here that, that mention water. Yes. So what we're seeing here is on the x-axis, it says wavelength of light. And so you can kind of think of wavelength like a color. Your eye perceives different wavelengths of light as different colors, but infrared. So if you could see a bunch more colors past red, you might be able to see some different colors here. And then on the y-axis, we see amount of light blocked. And so basically what's happening is that different atoms and molecules absorb different wavelengths of light. 
And we know, because we can measure them in the lab on Earth, which wavelengths different um, atoms and molecules absorb. And so then when we stare at an atmosphere with the spectrograph on the telescope, which is the instrument that can make these type um, of images, we can actually see, okay, what wavelengths are blocked. And we can match that up to what wavelengths we know those atoms or molecules block. And that's how we can tell what atoms and molecules are making up the atmosphere on these other planets. And so something that we'll be looking for with JWST, not me personally, I don't do planets, but a lot of my colleagues um, are signs of atoms and molecules, well, I guess molecules specifically, that life produces. Um, so maybe something breathing a lot or some process that we don't know how that would be created naturally on Earth. Not to say it couldn't be created naturally somewhere else, but that might be something that would kind of signal to us, maybe there's something going on on this other planet. So here we see kind of the imprint of water on this spectrum, but they'll be looking for a bunch of other molecules in other um, planets, atmospheres. Other signs of life. Yeah. So both just to learn about what are atmospheres on other planets. Is Earth weird? Is Earth standard type of things like that? Earth's weird. I can I can confirm that for sure. We're weird Earth's and different okay. and, and dumb. Like George Carlin said. This one says a hot gas giant, so it's more similar to a Jupiter type planet. But I think they'll try and do this with a bunch of types of planets. So, yeah, even though this one might look the least appealing, it might be the coolest in terms of like what we can discover relating to other life. Yeah, we have some questions for you around that a little bit later here. Um, but what about this last one? Is it called SBAC? That or I just like to call it Smacks because it sounds funny. Smacks? Smacks. <laughs> mm, snacks. I don't know if anyone else actually pronounces it Smacks, but that's what I've been calling it all week. <laughs> Why not when you're doing all these data deep dives and whatnot? You got to have some fun, too. You got you to laugh about it when you can. So snacks yeah. here. So this is a galaxy cluster. And so something to note when you're looking at this image is all of the bright spots that have the six spikes coming off of them. Those are stars in our galaxy. But any other point of light in this image is a galaxy. So no matter how tiny and faint it looks, if it doesn't have the spikes, it is another distant galaxy um, that you're looking at. So this has hundreds um, if not thousands of galaxies in this image. Holy cow. Um, and I think Biden said in the press release um, when he released this one, that this is the area of the sky if you like held a grain of sand at arm's length. This is how many galaxies are in that area on the sky. So that's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think this one is the most mind blowing because yeah. and we brought this up last week too. It's just like, it really gives you perspective on how small we are here on Earth and how just just exactly how much more is actually out there. If you need to have an existential crisis or really think nothing matters, just staring at this for a while, you know, can really help you help yeah. you get there. Do I really need to dust my my desktop? I mean, look <laughs> how much is out there in the world. And these specks of dust matter to me on my freaking kitchen table. Right. Yeah. Um, so the thing to note here, um, science-wise also, is that there's a galaxy cluster in the front. Um, and so a bunch of these big kind of whitish, yellowish, yellowish circular galaxies are members of that cluster. And there's so much gravity in that cluster from all of these galaxies and the gas that's in between them that they're actually gravitationally lensing galaxies that are further away and behind. And so that means that as the light is coming towards us and passes near those um, galaxies and passes near the galaxy cluster, the gravity is so strong it actually bends the light into like a different direction. 
Um, and so that's why some of the galaxies look all squished and like little flat lines or like arcs around the cluster. So they're not actually that shape. It's the galaxy cluster in front um, bending their light to make them look all funny. Um, and so wow, this, that's pretty incredible. The way that they're lensed, when you like model it, you can then tell how much mass is in the cluster. And we now know there's more mass in the gas that we can't see in this image just between all the galaxies in the cluster than there are um, in the galaxies of stars themselves. And that's just like so mind boggling to me to think about how yeah. much just like stuff is there yeah. to bend all this yeah. light. Yeah. And it can magnify some of the distant galaxies too. So this is a cool way we can learn more about galaxies and get better images of them than we might be able to see without a lens um, in front. And again, this is an infrared telescope. We've never looked this deep at these wavelengths before um, with this high resolution. And so we're just seeing tons of galaxies that we've never seen before um, because light, the wavelengths stretch longer as it travels to us from really distant galaxies because the universe is expanding. Um, wow. And so more galaxies are going to appear at these redder wavelengths. And so just looking at this image, it's like mind boggling looking at the same area of sky with an older telescope, just how much more stuff there is here to see and study. So obviously these photos are amazing and all this information that you're sharing is super cool. But for us down here on Earth, we're very self-absorbed. We're concerned about the Earth <laughs> you know, we got enough problems going on here. Can you t talk to us a little bit about how these discoveries affect us on Earth and why should we care? Yeah. So in addition to just being really cool to look at and really cool to contemplate how insignificant you really are. Um, Fair. It's uh, important to point out that a lot of NASA missions and the technologies they develop to do these science missions actually end up being used in our everyday lives after that. Um, so solar power has a lot of connections to science developed at NASA. Um, the camera that's in your phone has a lot of the same technology that's in the cameras that are on these telescopes. Um, and that was really created for science imaging, not necessarily to take pictures on your phone, but it's cool that they were able to take the same type of chips and everything um, and give us really small, high resolution, portable cameras. Um, and scratch-resistant lenses for your glasses, which I think we're probably all very appreciative of, was also developed from NASA. Seriously? Um, wow. So there's tons of cool lists out there of things that NASA only developed for a specific purpose, um, whether for a telescope or for a spacewalk or something like that. And then people ended up having a bunch of uses for it here on Earth. Um, and then I kind of just to note on the technology side, I don't always love this one, but spy satellites actually use a lot of the same technology telescopes do. Anything we can use to look out can also be turned back down to Earth to get some really high resolution images. Um, so I don't love that application of it, but yeah. that is an application of some of this um, that the military uses. Anything to do with studying atmospheres and weather on other planets can only help our understanding of our own atmosphere and weather here on Earth. Just all of this fluid dynamics that people are learning. Um, I like knowing it's going to be really hot today. Things like that <laughs> when it's right. going to rain. <laughs> I also think it's important um, to understand what the sun is doing. So JWST specifically will not be looking at the sun, but just to kind of um, emphasize that it's important to study the bodies around us in the solar system. If there was a huge solar storm where the sun suddenly spit a bunch of particles um, out 
towards us on Earth, it could take down a bunch of satellites that orbit the Earth and give us internet and things like that. So we'd be fine, but a lot of our technology could kind of be taken down. So in this world we live in that relies on a lot of things being in space, it is important to track asteroids and things that could hit them or any particles from the sun that could have a big effect um, on things that we really need to maintain our standard of living. And then lastly, the kind of last reason I would give I think people should care is I think in this world of everyone thinking everyone else is a horrible person, it is really cool to see so many different countries and different political parties come together um, to want to build things for space. I think it's a pretty universal interest. Um, It's generally been a pretty bipartisan um, science to support because who doesn't want cool pictures of space? Um, And so I do think there's like a feel good message that there's so many different countries who built different parts of the telescope and had different roles in launching it and designing it and things like that. When you think about like how divided the world is for a ton of different reasons, it's nice to see everybody get behind one thing. Yeah, I know Biden really wanted to make it like NASA and America did this, but there were multiple other countries um, and space agencies that had a role in this. So it is cool to see everyone around the world getting excited about it. Yeah. And of course, America wanting to take credit for everything. Yeah. When he, when he said that, we were like, this is not a NASA. Old, like, it's primarily NASA. But, you know, the European Space Agency did a bunch of it. Backtracking a little bit to aliens. If NASA ever got photographic evidence of aliens, do you think that we'd really actually hear about it pretty quick out here on the public side of things? Or would that be kept, you know, under wraps? I do think we'll hear about it. Astronomers are really bad at keeping secrets. Um, I know a few weeks ago um, when the first picture of the black hole at the center of our galaxy was released, like half of the professional astronomers I knew had said they had seen it like way in advance of the press release when it was supposed to be like kept under wraps. Because I think people are just so excited about these new discoveries. They're just like, look at this new thing we found. Um, And yeah, pretty much every time there's like a big press release in astronomy, a lot of us in the community are like already know what they're going to say. So we're not very good at keeping secrets. Um, (laughs) uh, There's also a few places other than NASA that are looking for aliens in a very scientific way. One of them being SETI, uh, which stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Um, So that's a great website to go look on if you want more information about all the ways we are actually looking for aliens. Um, We're probably going to see something in a spectrum before we get a picture of aliens. If you just think about how hard it is to get a picture of something far away on your phone um, or even like details of a surface of another planet, you know, we have to send things out there in our solar system. So we're probably not at the point anytime soon where we can really take pictures of other planets. But I do think there will be data um, that we can get that can kind of prove or make it, you know, aliens being a strong possibility that we're seeing something um, like that. So probably something more like the spectrum we looked at earlier is going to be the first type of thing where people say there's a possibility of aliens. And just to put it out there, there are some professional astronomers who want to make a bunch of money telling you that aliens have visited the solar system. Um, Avi Loeb being one of them. So he um, said this um, rock that we think was like an interstellar rock that came and passed through our solar system um, a little while ago. He was saying was sent by aliens. There's kind of no evidence for that, but you will every now and then see 
something thrown around that says, or maybe it's aliens, but we kind of try to do our best to rule out every other possibility of things we know exist or know could be happening before we tell the public that it's aliens. You are our official space correspondent. So anytime (laughs) we have space questions, we're going to be following up with you. And you explain things so like, it's really easy to understand when I you know. talk about these really huge concepts that are so complicated. So yeah. thank yeah. you guys. We yeah. really appreciate that. I just think that. it's important to make science like this not seem like you have to be, you know, the world's next Einstein to be able to do it. To bring us home here, I know you mentioned that the discovery of aliens is not something that you think is going to happen anytime soon. But I'm curious if you have an idea of, you know, when you think it could be like within our lifetimes or is it going to be after our lifetimes? Yeah. So I'll go in our lifetimes just for for fun. Um, I don't know. I don't know how definite it'll be, but I definitely think with the spectra that'll come in over the next 10 or 15 years with this telescope. That we're definitely going to get some, you know, this really could be life type of spectra. So I don't know about yeah. confirmed, but I will put my money on there being some molecules that we detect that people are pretty baffled how they formed there. Well, Amy, thank you so much for your time today. You've been so thorough. And like Pam said, you were really able to make this whole conversation accessible for us and our listeners. We're so glad that you got in touch with us because this has been a great conversation. And the next time there's big space news, or dare I say, if there's like potential alien news, we might call you up. (laughs) That sounds great. No, this was really fun. Good. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amy. And you convinced me. I'm definitely a lot more intrigued than I was prior to this interview. So thank you. Especially sharing all the ways, you know, we should care about why we should care about all of this. So thank you very much. And thank you for your time, too. Yeah. No, glad I could convince you that. And this is cool. I think I've been listening to you guys for like over half my life. So this is really cool. Well, thank you for sticking with us all this time. Yeah. We appreciate it. And again, thank you for writing in. Yeah. Can I make a recommendation before I hop off? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, let's hear your rec. So my recommendation this week is the book Disordered Cosmos by Chanda Prescott-Weinstein. She was one of the astronomers I mentioned above who led the charge to rename um, JWST. I think she is the first Black um, theoretical cosmology professor or maybe the first woman who's a Black theoretical cosmology professor in the U.S., Um, And she's pretty young. So that's kind of cool, but kind of like, did it really need to take this long to have someone in that area of research with those identities? Um, But she wrote an amazing book a year or two ago that goes through both the science that she does. And she does a great job of breaking down like all this particle physics she works with and like the whole history of the universe, but also talks about her experience being a black, um, a gender woman in astronomy and in this like white male dominated field and kind of what that was like for her and talks a lot about the language that we use describing things like dark matter or dark energy from the lens of like um, gender studies and all of that. So it's a really great book. Yes, she's also Jewish as Chloe is mentioning. So she is just a super cool, very non-traditional astrophysicist in the sense that you might think of, but is someone who's contributing to our field in so many great ways, both with her research and um, with her social science that she brings to it. And so if you have a chance to read that book, I think it was a really great science, like public science book that came out recently. Love that. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Amy, so much. So great having you. And like Laura said, if we have any questions going forward, we'll definitely hit you up. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you guys so much. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. You too. Take Bye. care. 
So to wrap up the show today, um, we wanted to just very briefly talk about um, some updates from the January 6th committee, as well as plug something that we'll be doing this Thursday um, for the primetime hearing that's coming. Um, If you've missed any of the January 6th hearings, don't worry. There are tons of great overviews online. You can literally go on YouTube and type in January 6th hearing highlights, and you will find some great compilations. You don't need to sit down through the you know, two hours of each of the, what, seven hearings that there have been so far, um, you can get most of the the relevant stuff um, through news or through YouTube. We did want to briefly mention that a couple of weeks ago, that surprise witness that came to the last minute hearing edition was uh, Cassidy Hutchinson, who was um, an aide to then Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, um, and really just wanted to plug really quickly that the upshot of this testimony was to prove that Trump and his senior staff knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what they were inciting on January the 6th. And there has been some subsequent evidence presented since then, um, showing that there were arguments between Trump advisors and White House counsel, um, because White House counsel was really pushing the administration to substantiate any evidence that they had that there was fraud in the 2020 election. Um, Steve Bannon, actually, the day before January 6th, uh, was quoted as saying, all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. Trump was trying to install a loyalist at the Justice Department. You have to remember that Merrick Garland is there now. And Obviously, you know, if you know you're guilty, you know that a case like this is going to go to the Department of Justice. So he was trying to get uh, one of his cronies in over there. And there was also some reported witness tampering. Sounds like Trump and, and those close to him were calling witnesses before their depositions and saying things like, remember to be a team player and do the right thing. Um, it's it's very like mob boss type intimidation shit they might as well have said you know that's a nice testimony you've got there it'd be a real shame if something happened to it (laughs) but all of this is to say that um there is going to be a hearing this thursday during prime time at 8 p.m eastern um for the final at least for now hearing and millennial is going to be hosting a public watch party. We have a public discord that you can access. You don't need to subscribe to us on Patreon to get to this. So you can get in that discord and chat with us and your fellow listeners live as we watch this hearing. And then we're going to follow that up by doing a breaking news installment and analysis for our patrons. So really looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be available to Bay patrons. Yeah, so check out our social media channels as well as uh, today's show notes for a link to that public Discord channel. Bring your tissues, bring some popcorn, and bring your pocket constitution. We're hoping that this hearing will be pretty interesting. They have been very interesting so far, but this is the only second one in prime time, and it's the final one for now. They might do more of these hearings come August or September, but this is the the final one for the time being, and uh, we'll just hang out in this Discord. It's just going to be text. It's not going to be audio. We're all just going to watch together. See you there.
Again, bring your pocket constitution. It's time for some recommendations from us. Speaking of our money-saving tips earlier, we mentioned saving money on um, video games, and Laura had actually mentioned gift cards. This made me want to call an audible for my recommendation this week. I recommend following Wario64 on Twitter. This person is tweeting all day, every day, deals pertaining to video games, electronics, gift cards, you know, like buy a $50 Best Buy gift card for $40, stuff like that, so you can save a little money that way. They'll they'll also tweet out pricing errors. If, you're, if you've been looking for a PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X or S um, or other hard-to-get items, they watch for those to come back in stock as well. So it's a really great account to follow if you want to save a little money on video games and other electronics and get hard-to-get electronics. That's awesome. Um, my recommendation is uh, not as exciting, but it is very practical and it can save you some time when you're cleaning. Um, I want to recommend the wet and forget shower cleaner. This stuff is awesome. Um, it's just like the title says, you, um, after you take a shower and it's still, you know, kind of wet in the shower, you spray this stuff all over the inside of your shower. You let it sit overnight and then you rinse your shower in the morning and it cleans everything without you needing to do a ton of scrubbing, which is really nice because I know sometimes I'm like, my back hurts and I don't want to do that. Um, so it just saves you a ton of time and it makes the the shower look nice and shiny and clean without you having to put in very much effort. You can get it at your, you know, home improvement, home convenience store that's near you. And I wanted to recommend the software Scrivener. This is for all my fellow writers out there. Uh, it's a little bit of a splurge, but it's not that expensive. It's 50 bucks, but it's a one-time fee. And literally, if you are doing any kind of longer form writing, it might be worth it to at least try it out. They do have a free 30-day trial just to see if it'll work for you. But what I really love about this is that you can split things up by sections and you can also split things up by different scenes in that section. This is really great if you write out of order. I write out of order. They also have um, sections for you to dump all your research in as well. So it's just kind of like one place to keep all of your writing organized while you're working on your thing. And doesn't matter if you're writing, you know, trying to write a book, trying to write a screenplay, if you're a student in school doing term papers, if you're a journalist like me that does like more feature work, it's pretty cool. And I, it's, I, there's probably more features that I don't personally use because I'm a very basic Scrivener user, but even what I do use is just so helpful for me in terms of staying organized. So, um, I would just recommend looking into it and seeing if it might be useful to you as well. Good to know. And Pam, what is coming up in After Dark today on our Patreon? Some people are up in arms about this new Baymax series over at Disney+. Plus. This is kind of like the sequel to Big Hero 6. And we're going to be talking about that and how it kind of relates to larger issues at hand. Yeah, like why talking about periods make people so uncomfortable. And we're going to talk about our own sex education yes. growing up in uh, middle school or elementary school or maybe not till high school. So... We'll talk about all that in today's After Dark. That'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. There is this one-time setup so you can get all of our bonus audio content in your favorite podcast app, except for Spotify, just like you do the main millennial show. 
and your support goes a long way. So thank you very much for supporting us. And thank you again to Amy for coming on the show today. And, you know, like we mentioned, Amy had written into us and said, hey, I know some stuff about all this galaxy stuff. So um, would you like me to come on the show and talk more about it? Maybe you are really up on a particular area or field in this crazy world. And if we're talking about something and you want to come on and talk with us, let us know uh, your credentials, first of all, (laughs) and uh, why you want to talk about it. And maybe we'll have you on the show. You can email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form on millennialshow.com. We also have the confessional on millennialshow.com. And finally, be sure to follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Maura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everybody. Bye.